Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. This is a recording of a panel I participated in with other reporters and crypto PR folks at the Consensus Conference in New York. The other panelists were Lee Quinn of Coindesk, Avi Salzman of Barron's, who also happens to be my old classmate from grad school, which was fun, Jill Richmond of Spark PR, and Trey Ditto of Ditto PR. The discussion was moderated by Frank Chaparro of Business Insider. We give a behind-the-scenes look at how media covers the space, offer up our critiques, spar over the rampant and egregious pay-to-play schemes in the industry, plus have tips on how crypto projects can get coverage. Apologies in advance that there was no mic for the questions from the audience. I've left the questions in as you can sometimes hear them faintly. I tried my best to have someone or myself recap each question. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Token Agency is a proven full-service blockchain startup accelerator, helping launch only the best and brightest projects in crypto. With a project acceptance rate of less than 1%, let their team of experienced advisors and marketing specialists build gravity around your company. To learn about their top projects and more, check out tokenagency.com. Today's episode is brought to you by KeepKey, the easy, safe, and simple way to protect your Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and many other digital assets. There's no time like the present to protect yourself from hackers, malware, and viruses. Visit keepkey.com to order your secure hardware wallet today and use the code UNCHAINED10 for a limited time 10% discount. We'll be exploring, you know, in this crazy crypto universe, obviously at the intersection of it all are the media folks and the PR and uh, uh, reps repping these companies, trying to get the word out. Um, And then the media folks who are trying to sift through that which is real and that which is hype. Um, And so we'll be exploring a lot of issues that face folks on the PR side of things and the journalist side of things. And so we have some of the top folks in the space from both PR and media. I'll let each one introduce themselves, starting with Lee Quinn. Hi, I'm Lee Quinn. I'm a business reporter at Coindesk. Hi, I'm Jill Richman. I'm the SVP at SparkChain. Uh, and I also uh, am the co-founder of an organization called Data, which is the Digital Asset Trade Association. Uh, my name's Trey Ditto, uh, and I run a PR firm uh, called Ditto, and um, probably half of our business is uh, somewhere in the crypto blockchain and, and ICO space. My name's Laura Shannon. I'm a crypto journalist, and I host the podcasts Unchained and Unconfirmed. And I'm Francisco Chaparro. I'm a finance reporter at Business Insider, covering crypto market structure and a few other things that are less interesting than that. Um, before we got over here, uh, I was talking to Jill about, um, you know, where does the onus fall, right, when it comes to fraud and other issues that, you know, have popped up in this space? You know, do media representatives of these companies have a responsibility to sort of make sure that, uh, you know, their clients aren't uh, not necessarily engaging in nefarious activities, but, you know, um, uh, you know, hypey type, gimmicky type stuff, or, or is it to shine light on important stories? So I'll let Jill sort of kick off what her thoughts were on that. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think the biggest issue, so let's look at the ecosystem a little bit, right? So on one hand, you have all of these publications that are actually not essentially regulating themselves and are seen as top publications in the crypto space and are happy to take pay-for-play press releases and treat them as <clears throat> as newsworthy. And what happens with all of these companies is these companies use them as optics. They put them on their website. You know, they say such such publication sponsor, you know, has, has given them kind of the stamp of approval and they're a paid publication. And I, I first think that it's the responsibility of the publications themselves that need to be a little bit, you know, self-regulatory, so to speak, right? And it's it's kind of part of the entire problem within the ecosystem. Um, and then I think we sort of landed somewhere around being worried about what's happened to the press release, right? That the press release may in fact be completely dead. Because I asked you, 
where you get your information and how it works during your during your day. And, mm-hmm. and the reality is, press release isn't it, right? Yeah. So because it's not the most effective way to communicate in this space because trust is so important, relationships are so important, and. A press release isn't really a person, right? You know, when I am looking for a story, I'm looking for something that I can trust. And at the end of the day, that's a, you know, maybe it's one line in a Twitter DM or maybe it's a quick phone call from someone I know really well. Um, we, we, we're joined now by an excellent reporter from Barron's. And care to introduce yourself and maybe weigh in? Uh, sure. I'm Avi Salzman. Uh, I'm a reporter at Barron's, uh, writing for the magazine and website on... Uh, stocks and economics, but also uh, increasingly about uh, crypto and blockchain. Uh, and yeah, it's a it's a tough space to cover. Um, I think that it's been really fun building relationships in the past year. I think that yeah, press releases don't necessarily make much of a mark because you're, you're sort of always starting from zero. But if uh, if I can sit down with someone for 15 minutes, get a sense that you know that their project is something worth uh, worth following, uh, it's more likely that maybe, you know, down the road I'd write about it. I think that, you know, it's writing about ICOs or writing about um, uh, projects before you sort of watch them develop can be really difficult, I think, mm-hmm. you know. So, so let, me take, let me take the other side of the argument then, um, which is one thing I've learned, uh, like working with um, all these ICOs we were talking about earlier is, is most people out there in crypto like have no idea how a story gets written. Uh, like we all talk about, like they're like, oh, so I write the story for the reporter. We're going to write it together. Um, and, and I was a former reporter at the AP in Dallas, and so I've always thought like a press release is for the press. And I do think there's probably a lot of people here like wondering like, what do I do? Like, how does PR work? And I do think though, the uh, the pr- a press release has a purpose uh, besides uh, trying to get a story. It's also about educating like your community. Right, so if you're in an ICO and you've got you know X thousands of people on, on Telegram and you need to be like keeping in touch with them, I think it's okay to write like good press releases. We're going to be at this event. We're speaking here. Uh, we have a new um, advisor, and it's just so. So what I've seen is like the ICOs are using these as just content opportunities to keep their community like updated on what they're doing. And a lot of times I'm like, I'll I'll, I'll never even send it to a reporter. Mm-hmm. One of the issues. Go ahead. Well, one thing I want to go back to is this pay-for-play issue that's going on, which is I really think that the crypto media needs to take responsibility for the fact that there are a number of publications out there that focus exclusively on the crypto space. And what they do is they take pay-for-play, which means that they take payment for articles to be published that are not marked as sponsored. They're not marked as advertisements. (coughs) And that's why sometimes you'll see this coverage that is like clearly sketchy, that hasn't dug deep into what's going on. I've seen people comment like, well, what about blah, blah, blah? Like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of pointing out the, the areas where they didn't, you know, where, where the reporter neglected to mention like, oh, by the way, they're also doing this sketchy thing over here. And the reason is because I know behind the scenes what's going on is that they're taking money for these mm-hmm. posts and they're, you know, obviously then not mm-hmm. going to publish anything so, negative yeah, about them. We, you know that as, the, as one of the leading reporters Yeah, well, I space. wanted to write this like investigative story about it, but I had like too many things I was doing at forums and never got to publish it before. Is that it? Is that it just hasn't gone to the masses yet? Why have these, you know, we all know the names, right? We all know which semi-trade pub she's talking about, right? But how did they get that credibility and what is our job as media professionals to sort of chip away at it and to and to make sure that our stories... Do, do we? I mean, you just yeah, said... Exactly. We all Can know. we argue with that? I, I, don't I don't think if, we do. I don't, I mean, maybe this audience does, but I don't think we all... Not only, right? And so I think therein lies some of the first, like the first problems, right? Because as Laura rightly points out, you know, you've got these publications. We all know that they're behind the scenes. There is a lack of credibility and a lack of protocol and a lack of all of the above. But the rest of the sort of the rest of the population is trying to, you know, educate themselves about projects, about cryptocurrency, about the, you know, about, uh, you know, the business stories are reading these publications and they don't know that they're not credible. And I or that there is, there's a question of, um, of values that are within the organization. So, yeah, yeah I mean, we, like, we definitely have things that would be, like, quote-unquote fake news, and maybe we can recognize that, but readers can't. But we also have some players in the space that are trusted and respected that aren't doing the due diligence that they should. 
And so there's a lot of confusion, right? Like there, there is um, no clear-cut standpoint about what is sponsored content in the space at the way that there are in other kinds of, of branded content. If you read a fashion magazine, you very clearly understand the relationship that Vogue has with these um, designers. But you don't understand the relationship that um, crypto publications have with the companies themselves. Yeah, so again, I'll probably take the other side to this again, um, which is uh, like earned media alone isn't going to solve your problems or like Mm -hmm. isn't a solution to whatever you're trying to sell. And and I think... I'm sorry, what is earned media? Like I offer you a client to talk to and you write a story. So just non-paid, okay. earned so media. That's, See, that's, media. Like a, that's like a PR phrase, right? That people are like, what does that mean? So, mm-hmm. so on one hand, as a PR person, though, I have to play in the murky waters that, that, are, that exist. And so... Wait, why? I think you can put your own rules out there and be like, I'm not going to engage in pay-for-play, or, right? I mean, well, I mean, you can have your own standards. Yes, because I think that's one of the things, I mean, arguably, you know, the first thing that happens when I'm sort of sitting down with a client is, you know, where where do we think that paid plays within this entire mm-hmm. strategy? If and I'm paid, often it like, it more, doesn't. It needs to be more sponsored. <laughs> it, I don't want it playing within the strategy. Actually, it let's kind of take it off the table. Isn't it the outlet's responsibility to sort of create those standards, maybe not necessarily the business folks who are really just, you know, getting paid yeah, I from mean, their like, clients to like, do something? Like, across media, we're seeing sponsored content as becoming a thing, right? The New York Times has it, yeah. Forbes has it. I mean, like, name any publication, they all have it. But it's clearly marked as basically sponsored paid. Content. Exactly. I don't see why, you know, you... But they don't run those, to be sure, right? They don't run those websites. They don't run those publications. No, they do. Like, like BuzzFeed, they, you know, they, their own team doing that. No, I mean, like, the PR folks who are getting their clients paid media, you know, they don't run those. They don't call the shots to have those indications of... No, but they can choose to, um, well, we you can know, choose have sponsored to content that, we don't... that is marked sponsored versus, you know, saying, oh, we decline to have sponsored content that is not marked sponsored. That's like that's shady. They can they can choose to say we're not going to do that for our clients. Like, if the project is really good enough, then the project wouldn't need that kind of right. coverage. Yeah, but that also gets into like what the media does and doesn't cover. The media doesn't always cover good projects, right? I mean, there's lots of good projects. There's no way you can cover every every good one out there. So if if again like. If 50% or 75% of what I do is like honest earned media, uh, and then there's a podcast over here that, you know, it's all pay to play, and I have a legitimate, credible client. And is it marked paid? Or is it? No, a lot of the podcasts are not paid. They're not marked paid. Yeah. Most of the credit, the really actually, some of the podcasts. I personally don't think you have to do that. So can we just talk about like what the media is, though, for a minute? Because I feel like we talk about it like it's the Mossad or the FBI, as if we're all coordinating together and has secret oh, initiatives. I think a lot of people on crypto Twitter would think that. And you know, that <laughs> makes me think of the question that I was going to raise, which is, you know, you see throughout the Twitter sphere the, you know, the FUD and the, you know, a lot of anger towards certain uh, media outlets uh, that have interesting graphs tweeted at all hours of the night. I won't name the media organization, but... Is there a, focusing now on the journalists, are some of them not doing their due diligence? Where are they sort of missing the bar? Because there is sort of, and and maybe it's chilling out a little bit now, but ever since I entered the space writing about it a year ago, there is a really broad skepticism, much more so than of like ICO Journal or, uh, you know, CCN as an example. Uh, There's much more skepticism of CNBC, Coin, even CoinDesk and, yes. and Business Insider than there is of these other things. Is that something that we're doing wrong, or uh, what do you think uh, is the impetus for that? Yeah, I mean, I think on the other side of the spectrum, what I worry about is when some mainstream media kind of hype things too much, because here we have these like everyday investors that are buying this stuff, and they don't fully understand things. You know, I've had people might know that like I think there are very legitimate questions to raise about XRP. And I've had people say to me, oh, but it's the third largest crypto. And I'm like, yeah, there are 100 billion units. People think like, oh, it's cheap because it's less than a dollar. And they don't understand it can be overpriced at 80 cents or 30 cents or even 10 cents or, you know, whatever. They don't get these things. And so, like, I sometimes see some of the coverage where it's like, oh, the price.
price went up and like, you know, they make it sound like it's so exciting. Here's how you buy it. Yeah. And it's a little bit like, oh, no, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, please point out like these are all the ways it could go wrong or like, you know, there's, there's just a lot of nuance in this space. And so sometimes when I see these like headlines, I just get really worried. Like people are going to lose their money on this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like you need to be careful in how you cover it. Forbes has that editor's note, right? In their stories that, you know, cryptocurrency investing is very risky. Oh, right. Um, hello, I was part of the group that like instituted that. I was like, I think we should put something in there just to like make people realize that this is a very new space and like that, you can very easily lose your money. So that brings up a good point for like you two though, is that most of the stories you all write don't really have like someone that's like bearish. They don't have like a naysayer in it, right? It's like two Goldman guys start amazing company, and that's the entire story. There's no to be sure in a lot there's, of these well, cases. Well, there's no third source that says that's bad journalism. So what yeah, you're saying is there's bad journalism, and I agree with you, it exists. Yeah, yeah I always try to get somebody on the upper, yeah. other side. Yes. Just to say why this project might be you know, Bukaki or something. Yeah, why it might not work out. or. But I think what you're pointing out about this fear about there being, again, bad coverage and um, overhyped coverage, clickbaity coverage, again, really points back to the concept of what media is, and we need to remember that it's an industry, and we can all um, make fun of CNBC all we want, but the fact is they're paying salaries, and that's a business strategy. And so we think about, you know, it's the media's responsibility to this, it's the media's responsibility to that. It's the media's responsibility to pay their employees. Well, it's, and to, a, it's a business model. It's, it's a, a business, business model. model problem. Exactly. So, I mean, so it, goes, it still goes to the heart of a business model problem, right? And, yes. You know, during your day, and whatever time you're trying to push out a story, how much time do you have? As, and I think it's, it's, it's certainly one that needs to happen. As soon as you're doing a story, Laura, I know you do excessive and really good coverage and making sure that you're getting all of the angles of the story. I've seen many outlets that don't, and I wonder if it's just because it's a matter of you know, incentives are not aligned, financial incentives are not aligned for the, you know, for the journalist to do that additional diligence coverage, third-party information. I mean, right? Is instead, that, of just, instead of just covering, right, market, the market cap, right? Sure. Is that your experience? Um, you know, it, it depends on what audience you're writing for. I think everyone's audience is very different. Uh, so my audience, I think uh, there are a lot of people very skeptical of the space, so... Uh, it, you know, it, you, you come at it with that understanding. I think you write about it, uh, understanding that it's a high bar uh, for your readers to clear to say that this is something that's uh, worth watching. So, mm-hmm. but I think it's, it's I think that's really important talking about like the audience that you're writing for and how that impacts what they do. Right? If yeah. you're writing, you write for an audience that. Um, they come to you for high-quality content. They're not coming to you for everything every day. When you're talking to the general mainstream public, you're trying to get as much out as you possibly can, and you're actually selling the audience to advertisers, right? You are not... You sell the product of content. Most media companies sell the product of audience. And so that will drive completely different kinds of stories. It will drive clickbaity stories. It will drive stories that don't require that kind of... They don't get that kind of fact-checking that they need because their objective is not to serve the audience. It's to serve an audience, whatever they can do to get that audience. And a lot of these issues, though, they're not really crypto-specific at the end of the day. When we think about, you know, maybe... They're hyperbolic in the space, but yeah. yeah. It's really just, you know, shining a light on some of the issues that exist in media today. How do we get those views? How do we get those clicks? But like you said, yeah, I think maybe amplified a bit. Yeah, but Thinking I about wanna, how I don't want to underestimate readers because I do think that they do go for quality. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wouldn't say like they only go for the stupid headlines. Like I don't I, think they only go for stupid headlines. No, not at all. I do so then, why that. are so many stupid headlines being written? You think? Yeah, well, that's what I want to tell us, Frank. Yeah. Well, not my <laughs> I'm the moderator. I mean, there's all different kinds of audiences, right? <laughs> There's all different kinds of audiences, right? So there are definitely audiences who come with a very thoughtful approach, and there are audiences that don't. So I do think that um, some audiences want high-quality content. I think some audiences don't understand what it is they're looking for with high-quality content. And that's, yeah. I mean, can I ask a, a question, which is, Laura, do you feel like you write for a very sophisticated audience? Or that you that you think your podcasts are really for a little bit more of a sophisticated audience? Well, so the podcasts probably are. Yeah. But when I wrote, I tried to write for, you know, a broad audience. Yep. And um, definitely certain articles really, really, really took off mm-hmm. and got a lot of views. So I don't think it was like the kind of thing where only sophisticated people could could um, could come and understand them. And that there was something else I was going to say earlier. Oh, which was just like. You know, when we're talking about kind of like 
only writing a story that's basically just a headline and like doesn't go into the nuances. Like, I think, you know, that's dangerous also because you have to remember that no reader is as into this world as we are. So if you don't try to get those nuances in, they're really not going to get them, you know? Like, we may know all these kind of ins and outs and, and, you know, that not everything is, like, a foregone conclusion in this space. You know, that, like, Bitcoin really could fail or Ethereum could fail or whatever. But they're not going to get that. And so I do think that's why it's important to, like... Get those There's a little there. more responsibility to be more explicit about some of the things that we take for granted. I think I think that's right. Um, moving more towards the PR side of things to, to focus on all aspects of, of, of the space. And a pretty simple question, but for folks out there aspiring, building some sort of project, what do you think is you know key to helping get their message out there from both the PR perspective? And the journalist perspective, if someone came up to you and said, how can I effectively get on a Coindesk or a Business Insider or a Barron's um, or on Lauren's podcast, what is the answer to that question? Well, I, I mean, we had this conversation, so I would pre conversation, but I, I think for, I always tend to look at the company and then focus on the people, right? So it's a lot easier for me to tell the story of, look, this person uh, came with former PayPal executive doing X, Y, and Z. Former, you know, credit quiz, credit Swiss uh, trader doing et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Let me, let me, happens to have exceptional industry knowledge and are now entering a new space to solve a very specific problem. It's a lot easier for me to sit down with a journalist and go, hey, as you said, yeah. hey, by the way, Frank, I just want to let you know, so-and-so was at PayPal, was an executive at PayPal, is doing X, Y, and Z, and you're like, oh, really interesting. That is a lot faster to get to you mm-hmm. than it is to write you know, a really long pitch story about the company, and also it... it it starts to generate the entire credibility piece, which is like this is some this is a company. These are people. These are founders who understand the problem that they're solving. They've been in this industry for an exceptional amount. I feel like I'm saying very obvious things, but yeah. that is at least that's sort of the first. Is it is it more about the people for you when you write about you know thinking about those more profile like pieces as opposed to you know Jamie Dimon pontificating ad nauseum? What what is it for you that attracts you to writing a profile? Writing is a it profile the people or writing or a story? Because those are two very A profile, right? a profile specifically. A profile is going to be really tricky, right? A profile has to be somebody who already has clout in the space, has already got a lot of traction behind them, already has um, a resume that gets people's attention. But if you have a project that doesn't have a high-profile person, then you need to do the work. And if you're doing something really interesting and you actually are changing people's lives and actually serving customer needs, then I will do my best to give you five minutes of my time to, to sell me on this, like to, to, to convince me that you deserve coverage even though other people haven't covered you before. Mm-hmm. And I found stories that I felt like were really great, and I'm glad I gave those people the time of day because before they came to me and tried to get me to pitch XYZ software, they went and they had a group of people and they actually solved their problem. Yeah. So, so, and I think, like, I mean, not everyone has a, like a PayPal executive on their on their team. Exactly. So, so, what do you do when you don't? So, and here's what's crazy too is like these people come to me and they have started a company that like like potential that, clients. Yeah, like new business, new client that starting a company no one's ever heard of before. Um, like, you ever talked to the press before? No. So they've never talked to the media before. There's like zero like awareness at all. And then all of a sudden they're like, "Can you get me on Laura Shin's uh, podcast?" <laughs> um, and so, and what's even funnier is that the industry that they're trying to change, like through blockchain or whatever, um, they don't really have any experience in as well. So like we had, we did this like ICO out of Brazil, and 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 they were um, it was impacting kind of like how we invest for retirement. And the first thing I told them was. Do you have, like, a financial spokesperson? Like, if we're going to be reaching out and talking about, like, you know, how blockchain can help in investing, like, you need an investment expert. So I think the first thing you all should do when you're thinking about, like, oh, how am I going to get media coverage is I think you make sure you have, like, a credible spokesperson. And then I think also, like, and, you know, I mean, and I work with you all all the time, I think it's also about just being a good source. You know, when Jamie Dimon says something, right, like, send a reporter, like, five smart sentences about what you think that means, right? Like, when, the, when, when breaking news happens in crypto, and, and it's always the same thing. It's a hacking. It's Jamie Dimon. Bitcoin's up or down. Uh, and it's uh, Goldman Sachs, dude. 
enters into space. And like it's the same four stories every month. And so like your ability to like really think about like saying something smart and giving it to a reporter and like helping them, like giving them value. Like I'm sure you guys get emails all the time. And and if you're emailing a reporter and you're not giving them any value. Don't you know, do it. Please don't. Don't do it. Send them something smart. Like explain to them in like three sentences, like what you're doing. If you're if your pitch to a reporter is like over three paragraphs, it's just it's just not going to get read. Honestly, can I just like throw something out there? You don't even have to write a full email. If you can tell me in bullet points what I need to know, I like that. Maybe other reporters don't. I do. I, I do. do. Yeah. Or like slide into my DMs on Twitter. Yeah. That's... If you can like one, two, three. Why do I care? How, like what? What gives you credibility? And like, when is this happening? Cryptocurrency is vibrant and exciting, but it's not without its share of bad actors. Exchanges and personal accounts can get hacked. Computers can be infected with malware. Left unprotected, your digital wealth is up for grabs. Don't let yourself be a victim. KeepKey is the safest and simplest way to protect your Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and other tokenized assets. This hardware wallet is a separate device that you control. Brought to you by the pioneering team at ShapeShift, KeepKey works with the wallet software on your computer to manage your private keys and transactions. Your device is pin protected, which renders it useless even if it falls into the wrong hands. Its large display lets you carefully view and approve every transaction. And if your keep key is ever lost or stolen, you can safely recover your device without compromising its private keys. The bottom line, you'll sleep easier knowing that your digital wealth is safe and secure. Visit keepkey.com to order yours today and use the code UNCHAINED10 for a limited time 10% discount. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Token Agency is a proven full-service blockchain startup accelerator, helping launch only the best and brightest projects in crypto. With a project acceptance rate of less than 1%, let their team of experienced advisors and marketing specialists build gravity around your company. Today's highlighted project is the Tech Coast Angels and Wharton Alumni Angels-backed VU, spelled V-U for Virtual Universe. VU is an epic, story-driven, open-world adventure powered by virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and blockchain. Founded by proven gaming developers with multiple exits, the VIEW token empowers players to participate and build value inside the virtual universe in fun and creative ways. To schedule a demo with the founders inside the virtual universe alpha, resembling Westworld, go to viewtoken.io, that's viewtoken.io, and check out tokenagency.com to learn more. I see a question in the audience, and since I am slightly in charge, I will take the question. Yeah, there you go. Right. See? Rule number one! Don't do that! Lightning was a scam. I knew it a month ahead of time because I looked at the website. Charlie Lee apparently didn't do this, and so he made a tweet, and then it went to a headline on point, telegraph desk, whatever, and then everyone... Did you have a question? What's the question? Well, I just... I was, like, wondering, you're the only journalist I know. I feel like I watch a lot of YouTube and nonsense, and, like... There needs to be some more... Well, like, there's some really great journalists on this panel. I'm going to follow you once I learn your names. Much thanks. <laughs> and my question is, how do, how do we uh, like get better news from you? Or like, Pay for it. I think that there. Is, I think. I think the problem was, if I can opine for a few minutes or a few seconds, I think the space early on. You know, the the, the problem lies in the fact that traditional media outlets, with the exception of a few folks, didn't really pay enough attention to the space in identifying projects outside of you know maybe in 2016 Bitcoin somehow went up to a thousand dollars or something or whatever the price was at that point, and it would get one article maybe. Now we're seeing, I mean, I follow John Lothian, and he's a, he's a trader on Chicago, he has a newsletter. I mean, there were times over when the thing was running up to 20,000 that 70% of the newsletter would be crypto news. Um, so I think what happened was there was a void right back then that was filled in by the YouTubers, by the tweeters, by the, you know, who's it's whatever, you know, blockchain, Joey, blockchain, whatever. 
and and the media, the traditional media, wasn't paying attention doing their due diligence. But, but it's a new space. Now we're just getting it. Right? But it's and a new just, space. There's yeah. just there's only so many reporters uh, that can like come into this space at a time, and it's new. And so there are, are, are new reporters. There's a growing number of reporters, and so I think you're just going to see the coverage. You know, I think mature uh, and probably be more robust. You know, over time, well, there'll yeah. be like a hundred Laura Shins in like five years. God willing. So I just want to um, because we're going to actually put this on my podcast. I just want to recap what the quote-unquote question was, which was, I guess somebody emailed me about it. it was like a kind of a scam that you were trying to tell me about. Light pay is not real. It never was. It was so obvious. Light pay. Yeah, about light pay, saying that it wasn't real. Um, so I might remember this. Um, just, people, just so people know, because I do get so many messages, I literally get like a million messages. I, like, I can't even get to explain how many messages yeah. I get. And there is so much noise, and because I'm busy doing things, um, I may not read your email as you know closely as I want, or have time to investigate. Because yeah. a lot of these investigative things, they take a lot of time. That's the other thing. So if my plate is already full at that moment, which pretty much any week you will find me with like a super super full plate. So that's why, unfortunately, like I do get notified about scams. Um, I do get notified about a gazillion really interesting projects, like all kinds of things. Do I always have the time to, you know, put into it that I wish I did? No, unfortunately, I don't. Um, the really interesting thing, though, about the crypto space is that that was figured out like pretty, pretty quickly. It took a month. No, it, w- it took a month. Okay, but there were some other ones where um, I've been notified about things, and then like within 24 to 48 hours, I will see something. You know, the community figures it out. So maybe that one took a little bit longer, but. But, but it's also like, I mean, sorry, the audacity of you to be like, why didn't you respond to my email? You know, it's like, and I think like, and, and I don't want, you shouldn't annoy reporters, but like, if they don't respond to your email, they didn't tell you no. And, and it just means like, email them again the next week with something like new and different and better, right? It's like, like, you have to build this relationship with a reporter by like going to them on a regular basis, not annoying them with good emails. Wait, but, I, but I think his case is a little bit different because he wasn't trying to promote his project. He was trying to like get me to warn the community yeah. about something, which is like a little bit of a different thing. Yeah, I guess um, turning the wheels a little bit and focusing on something slightly different but connected, um, given that you have a much more broader mandate, right, similar to myself, um, do you think that, and, you know, connected to sort of how much media coverage there actually is of this space, given how small it is, I mean, at the end of the day, we're only talking... Uh, what is the latest? Four hundred billion market cap of the whole of, 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 of the whole thing. Um, I mean, are there too many stories being written on it? Are we not focusing on, you know, scams that could be taking place at the big Wall Street banks because we're too busy writing about Bitcoin? I think the coverage sometimes is does overlap a little too much. So, like uh, the gentleman over there said, he's talking about specific coins that may or may not be a scam. I think that. There's sort of a hole in that coverage. I think that there's an entrepreneurial journalist could uh, fill that hole to some degree uh, to talk about sort of more for the community and if it's if it's legitimate. I know CoinDesk does a lot of good stuff uh, specifically about coins, but there could be someone even more granular getting into um, uh, that kind of stuff. For for my readers, you know, calling out a scam on a coin that's worth a few million dollars is not. They're not going to be interested because they're not buying it, so it doesn't protect them per se. But so it really, you know, for my audience, it's, it's just a little bit different uh, as to what gets the level where it's going to catch their attention. So I think there are big holes in the coverage, but I do think that sometimes we all cover the same things to some degree, just because it rises to a level of interest. It has a name that people are interested in. So there's, I think, you know, it's a tricky space right now. I think that. But I think there are entrepreneurial journalists. Obviously, Laura is filling an enormous niche. And there are other people, though, who could come in in other parts of that niche. I mean, this is an incredibly exciting entrepreneurial area where there are people who need to call out the BS and there are people who need to promote uh, some of the more promising projects. But and it's just not, write whatever the news of the day is. Yeah, and it's not necessarily going to be uh, you know, a, a my publication, which will still cover this area a lot. You know, obviously there are several unicorns now. It's 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 a really exciting, important area, but we're, we're not going to cover it on the granular granular level. Uh, um, but somebody should, I think. So I think. What's your take? Yeah, can I like? Uh, it's a business, right? We are employing people, we are selling people, and there are so many nonprofit journalism organizations that if if you really want more coverage of something. 
paid nonprofits be an active part of their community. There are organizations that are actively seeking out readers to participate in the development of their strategy and make it worth their time. Show them that you are willing to engage, that you're willing to pay for high quality content that focuses on this issue. Because businesses will sell what people will buy, right? So if you want a certain kind of coverage, be an active participant in the community. And you know, you mentioned there are so many great things with people do just by calling things out on social media and being um, contributing to the space in that way. You don't have to be in PR. You don't have to be a journalist. Or, or go write it yourself. I mean, like half of what we do is on the content side. It's like again, I, I can only get you in front of so many reporters, like in the span of our relationship. But like you know, whether it's Medium or Hacker Noon or just like a blogging or a website, like start writing on, on your own. And there's like so many different ways that you can promote that stuff, whether it's through social media, paid and earned social channels. Like like you have the ability to create your own really good content if you see something going on in the space. And I really appreciate it when people do that. I do appreciate it when people go and they create content that they've researched something, that they've showed something. And sometimes I can use that to investigate yeah. further. It gives me um, clues of where I can look. So it's a good thing to do. I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all to do. What? One, one other thing I wanted to add about investigative stuff is that Nathaniel Popper at the, at the New York Times, yes. I think, is doing really good work in that regard. So he's one of the few that... So is Anna at Reuters. Anna at Reuters is killing it. Good yeah. stuff. Yep. Yeah, those are, those are two people to follow. Uh, great, great, exceptional journalist. What uh, has been your favorite story that you've written and your favorite story that you've pitched that have gotten written? Start with you. Um, probably my favorite story was the phone hijacking one just because that was the most, that had the most impact and that um, unfortunately is still going on where people, if you don't know what I'm talking about, they get their phone number stolen via mm-hmm like a customer service agent basically at their cell phone provider giving the number to the hacker and then the hacker goes to like their email or their Twitter or their Facebook or whatever and clicks forgot password and then has the code sent to the phone number which is now in the hacker's possession or which you know all the calls and texts are going to their phone and then they change the password lock them out of their email Twitter Facebook etc um, it's happening I mean it just happened last week to Ryan Selkis who was on my XRP episode um, so that was a big story, and I think it hopefully helped a lot of people to protect their crypto, to know that that was going on and that they needed to do that for their phone numbers. Awesome. Favorite Go ahead. pitch? Favorite pitch that got somewhere. See, I mean, Better be one of my stories. And, I, well, <laughs> and, I'm, I mean, and I, like, live in the weeds of PR. Like, I'm... I, I, I like to actually do the work, which kind of separates me from most PR people. Uh, and, and so, like, on one end, like, you know, whether it's Frank or Lee, um, uh, you know, it's like news of the day, uh, like, email one of my clients, give me a good quote about this, send it to you guys. The story, like, you know, gets, like, uh, you know, updated and it puts in there. Like, like, that daily thrill, like, I mean, that's like a PR person. I'm just like, I'm working hard and I'm getting shit done. Um, you know, I think like on the on the probably like the bigger side is like I think like uh, working with Nellie Bowles uh, on a couple uh, stories uh, that are going to come out soon. So um, I'm sure she will find the truth and in, uh, in, in, the, in the story as well. So yeah, favorite pitch or favorite story? Or yeah, favorite? favorite sort of like story that you pitched or you know one of your clients got in. You know, it was actually, I mean, and it wasn't even a, sto- it wasn't even a story that we pitched, but it was nice to hear a project that I, I care a great deal about, which is a, which is a client called or- Orchid Protocol, which was, I know, mentioned on your, on your podcast, Laura, uh, I know it's a company that you've, you've been in front of a few times and certainly haven't told about, but it's a, com- it's a company that I, I, I care about, that I'm following, um, I'm paying a lot of, ten- a lot of attention to what they're doing, and, you know, it was... It was nice to hear Laura actually mention the reasons why she passed over it at the time and was still looking into it. So for me, it was it helped me understand a little bit a about the project. B, you know, right now, you know, they're 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 certainly very quiet deliberately, but it's a project that I care about. So, by the way, I am interviewing them at that Oslo Freedom Forum in a couple of weeks, and that episode will go out on my podcast. So you will stay tuned for that. that. Very cool. Um, before I even do mine, can I call out one of yours? I really liked Laura. Uh, you did an article about uh, people who were lying in their pitch decks. 
uh, claiming they had advisors and investors that they did not have, and that was just a really Another excellent super piece. shady thing going on all the time in the ICO space. Like, people yes. claim that I'm an advisor. Yes. It's terrible. <laughs> no, but I mean... So, You'd be a good advisor to have, though. So everyone at this table knows that that happens, right? And we know it happens every day because we yeah. see it, but we don't write about it because we assumed everyone else did, and you did it in such an excellent way of just, uh, describing to the public what we see and exposing um, something that should not have been happening, and I just think you were on point. Reminds me of that meme. You ever see the meme with the like guy who has his hair different in each picture, and he's like the product developer, product manager, but it's all the same dude. Exactly. It's um, a favorite story you've read. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tie it, and it's actually two different series. Um, I was really excited about the series I did about cryptocurrency in Iran because I think we talk a lot about censorship resistance, and we talk about it like a concept, and we forget there are real people on the planet that need that kind of technology and are using this technology today. So I was really excited to hear about people in Iran who are actually able to do business across borders with people who otherwise could not have done business with them and that it's actually helping them feed their families. And another one would be um, the series I've done about sex workers. Sex workers is another community that is actually using crypto for the censorship resistance that we built it for. And they've been doing it. I learned about uh, cryptocurrency a lot before it became a big thing from them. It, it wasn't me coming with any genius idea. Like People needed that. People need um, to have the ability to store their assets when they can't be discriminated against because the fact of the matter is that people genuinely are discriminated against. And I'm really excited when I can highlight the way that this technology can be used for good and not only can, but is today, now, and has been. I love all of my stories equally. They're like, they're like my children. I don't have children. Um, I think I think you know the best stories for me are the you know I think it ties into what Trey was saying are the scoops that you know really take the hustle and the grind to get them out the door. Most recently, last week, I published that Coinbase was moving to support co-location and do a lot of other things to lure high-frequency traders. And this week, they pitched it to everybody, and everybody was a week late to the news. But I got it last week. Those are the best stories. Uh, I think my uh, first cover story on uh, Bitcoin where I kind of mapped for the, because we have, you know, lots of, hundreds of thousands of investors who read the site and who read the magazine and uh, who are not familiar with the space. So I mapped it and showed the connections between traditional finance and, uh, and crypto finance and kind of put together diagrams that I got a lot of good feedback on. People said, oh, I never understood how, you know, hedge funds actually work in the space or how. Yeah. So that that was kind of a... It was, before we, we got on, I, we were talking about um, how, you know, PR folks get a lot of flack for some of the things they might do wrong. But when we think about reporters, right, there's a huge information gap from, you know, maybe a lot of TV folks, not necessarily writing folks, but how do you sort of um, navigate that TV from the well, PVA. So, so the, it, it's like this is the trickiest like space because, and I'll talk quickly because I talked about this for a while. On the TV side, a producer's job is like news of the day. Let's just say like CBC is like markets news of the day, and they're just not afforded the opportunity to go any deeper, you know, than that. Um, so if you're going to be on TV, it's probably going to be like top line news, you know, whatever is going on. I think kind of moving over to the print side. Um, there are, uh, and it's hard because you like you want to reach out to a reporter, and and a lot of times like I don't know if you this reporter even understands blockchain, mm-hmm. and so it's like, do I have to explain it to them first, and then am I insulting them at that? And point? is that unusual? From I mean, I know you covered some tech companies too that aren't in this space. I, I think it's just um, again the space is new. Um, I think the number of reporters that are starting to cover this is, is going to keep growing. And so there's, there's people like on this panel that I can email and be pretty straightforward, get to the news. Uh, and then there are reporters where I'm like having to explain blockchain to them mm-hmm. you know, before I even actually pitch the client. So, um, and it, 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 so it makes it hard. There is like more un- or undereducated reporters out there than educated reporters when it comes to this space. And I, and I think like the undereducated reporters, I almost just like, it's, not, it's almost not even worth for me like pitching them because if they haven't written about blockchain now, like what makes me think that they're going to write about it in the next, you know, 30 days? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that your experience? Or? A little bit. I mean, I think, you know, just piggybacking on what Trey said, you know, many times if we have broadcast networks that are obviously focused on news of the day, then our clients, we're regularly speaking to them about being expert commentary, right? So it's we're sitting down and trying to get them to a place where they can, 
very quickly, you know, comment about what they can comment on really appropriately and fit them in in an appropriate place, and then maybe sort of spin it around in terms of their project, right? It sort of has to be this, like, here's your entry point, right? You can really, you can really come in there, I mean, quote-unquote newsjacking, but you can come in there and you can talk about X, Y, and Z and, and round it back mm-hmm. to your, you know, somehow round it back to the implications mm-hmm. of your project. But so the, first thing the, so the, the better that they are, the more they get called back, and right? The first, so, thing, uh, the first thing a producer is going to ask is, like, have they been on TV before? Mm-hmm. So I was like, anyone out here, if you all want to be on, like, TV, uh, I would go and, like, go buy, like, a camera and just start doing videos of, like, of your, like, self, like, you know, just talking about things. Like, your ability to, like, send clips you know, to a producer that shows like that you can you can handle your shit on TV. Like that's at least going to get like a pinky toe in the door of you getting in getting on to national TV. Mm-hmm. If you have no clips, if you've never been on TV before, you will never be on TV. Mm-hmm. Are there any questions in the audience? Is anybody sitting on something? Yeah, go ahead. What's your name? Where are you from? Could you speak up just a little bit? Yep. Right, so in order to get the uh, media's attention, lots of people actually go to the Fortune 500 bubbleheads, so to speak, and they hire them as advisors. Hmm. Uh, Keep the one liner to pitch, and then uh, at the end of the day, they end up in the panels that no one can describe a smart contract, for instance, mm-hmm. in the And uh, that obviously uh, loses the credibility of the whole industry itself. Whilst the actual problem is that uh, the persons who are actually doing things uh, behind the scenes, like the promoters, and uh, who actually develop the uh, ICOs and the technology behind it, who has the actual duties, uh, mm-hmm. they never ever get there because the, uh, in order to get there, you need to hire the kind of uh, Fortune 500 bubblehead to your uh, advisory board. And then uh, so what's your question? I guess the I guess it kind of plays into what you were saying. You know, you need to have an ability to, you know, make a presence and to, you know, market and be a voice for the firm. And that's not always going to be the guys that are actually building out stuff. Right? And let me just summarize that yeah. also for the podcast. Sure, go ahead. Um, the comment was basically that for a project to get media attention, they often feel like they need to get Fortune 500 executives to kind of speak to the project, but then the real people that are building it are the developers for the team. And so your concern is that the real people that are behind it, what, they're not getting the media coverage. Is that it? Do you have a question that you wanted to... Right, so, I mean, what usually happens is that uh, if you keep that one liner to the monkey that represents you uh, as a Fortune 500 uh, bubblehead, I've, I've got five, a couple of them on myself, but that's you know. So it's a fair. It's a that is actually a, yeah. it's a fairish comment, and, and I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say something, and then I think y'all can probably like build yeah. off of it. Is like a year ago, I was like, what? I was asking all these like crypto guys, like, what makes for a good ICO? And then we like went through this whole list. And then I was thinking about, okay, but what's the media interested in? And there wasn't too much overlap between how do you spot a good ICO and then how do you get media coverage, you know, of that. So I think there is like you do have to understand like, you know, a good super technical project may not get the media coverage because it, it doesn't necessarily have the things that a reporter is always looking for. And what are those I, things I, that we're looking? I don't know if I agree with that. I, I disagree as well. Yeah, I mean, if, if there are good technical um, merits to the project, then the reporters should be able to figure that out. I mean, they're like it, I mean, it definitely probably depends on the type of reporter. But um, when I'm like looking at whether or not I'm going to cover a project, I'm definitely not looking at whether or not they have a Fortune 500, you know, executive speaking well about them. That's definitely not what's going to make me be like, oh, I should definitely cover this. If anything, that's like a red flag that maybe they don't have something good, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what I what I do is like I definitely talk to developers who've looked at the code who can point out to me like, hey, you know, why I noticed these uh, red flags in the GitHub. Like, you know, these are other things that I am concerned about. Like, oh, you know, I'm not sure about the way they're selling this or about the marketing. Like, like there are a lot of other ways to assess projects that are kind of more substantive. 
And that's basically what I look into, whether or not you know I'm going to cover something and, and how I'm going to cover it. We do our damnedest, frankly, to make sure that everyone who is behind a project that's in a room before we're equip, equipping you know, the Fortune 500 exec, certainly on the technical side, to line up both messaging and talking points so that at least they're, they're A, not off message, and B, not wrong, right? So I think to some extent... <laughs> To some extent, we do the best job that we can as the agency of record to make sure that we're tying everything together as best as we can between the technical team and the executive team to make sure that the, the thought leader, the top, the top, the person who's basically talking on behalf of the company, can speak accurately to the technicalities that I believe lots of the reporters do want to hear. Certainly, 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 Laura Shen, and there's a whole great deal of other reporters that are taking deep dives into the company's, you know, technical, you know, diligence, so to speak, cleanliness. I also want to point out who are you wanting to talk to, right? So, as a, a younger reporter, I don't make the calls. I have a boss, and my boss wants to sell to a certain audience. And I've written for about blockchain technology for several different editors at several different publications. And I can tell you that the different ones, what, what make a great story to one editor, won't make a great story to the other editor. So you need to think about who do you want to talk to. And then for me, this is just my personal bias. Um, I really care less about how famous the person is and care more about if they're actually solving a problem and doing something. If you're not getting coverage, go do the work. Mm -hmm. Go out there and make a change. And then I'll go and report on that because it won't even need to come from you. I'll hear it from people. Mm. That's interesting. Do you ever find that, like, a lot of the time PR folks will try to clog your inbox with, you need to talk to this expert, you need to talk to this expert, and you kind of think... Well, if I really need to talk to him, uh, it wouldn't be you who's making the introduction. Like literally every day of my life. So exactly. What, what do you think about that? Because that's how I, I see it. Go, well, you know, if I really need to talk to so-and-so, you know, uh, one, one of my close colleagues or connections in the crypto space would be like, Frank, you need to talk to this guy. Exactly. I mean, that's, you know, I, I don't remember when was the last time I was like, oh, yeah, I'll talk to this person that got pitched to me from a PR person. Like, like I, maybe never. You know, it's always like sources saying yeah. like you have to talk to so and so, and especially when there's so much noise. I, mean, I might be getting pitched good people, I might be, but like I'm not going to figure it out when I get like so many PR pitches every day. Like it's like not going to be possible. But if I get a signal like, oh, all these people that I think are smart are saying I should talk to so and so, then that's a exactly si a strong signal. We have a question. To Laura's point, I'm interested. You get millions of emails, as you say, every day. We're talking about. Uh, three bullet points in mm. interviews, so, and one of those being timing. So my question's around timing. The crypto space is so rapidly expanding in new companies, <laughs> multiple, every day. What's your recommendation or optimal timing mm. for the company to come to you and say, hey, I've got, you know, I think this is great. You mean time of day? No, no, no. Timing is in how far along do you think the product ah. should be? Should it be out there? Should it be a week before? Do you want to know mm. the day of? Do you want to know after the fact where you've got some data behind you? Mm. When do you think you should be pitched? There probably isn't one right time. Yeah. It probably depends on um, a number of different factors. Um, gosh, this is a good question. I mean, it, it may just depend on the reporter and what type of work they do because, like, now for my podcast, um, you know, I'm not going to put, like, something that's just launching on the show, right? Like, I might do it on the shorter show, maybe, if there's, like, some compelling reason. Um, but, you know, I have a lot of... I get a lot of pitches for announcements right now, but, you know, I don't have any place where I'm writing that kind of story. So I just... I mean, it's good that people are sending me that. I want to keep abreast of what's going on, but um, I'm not going to immediately be like, oh, like, you're launching this week. I'm going to stick it on my hour-long podcast. Like, that doesn't make sense, you know? So um, it probably just depends on what the reporter does and... Um, you know, what type of outlet they have. But I think um, one thing that I would say is, like, when when a project is early stage, I think one good signal that I can get is, like, who the investors are. If the investors are people where I know, you know, they know what they're doing and they've got a ton of projects and they have a really high bar, like, like that at that point can say something to me about, you know, what kind of promise this has. So if you have good investors but it's early, like, it still might be worth letting people know about what's going on and generating buzz. Um, one other thing I will say about that, though, is that there, are some, there were some moments in the past when I probably made the wrong call on this, but I was being cautious about what I was mentioning earlier about how everyday people put their money into these things and they might lose their money. So there was a period where I didn't want to write about coins before the ICO. So, for instance, like I knew about Tezos like 
you know, nine or ten months before the ICO, and I thought about writing about them then, but then I, I just got nervous and, you know, just kind of was maybe too cautious, um, and then Wired eventually wrote about them. But, um, but you know, that's maybe something else. I mean, now in this day and age, like, when there's so many ICO, like, I don't even know... Yeah. You have any you know, thoughts? What reporters have oh, a stance, you know, whether their stance is to write about things before or after the ICO, but but that was something that I did consider at that time. You have any thoughts? I, I think uh, for pitches, for me at least, uh, if you're if someone says they're going to revolutionize the shipping industry, like I am going to need to talk to two people in the shipping industry who you have specifically helped. I mean, for me, I don't. It's just not going to rise to the level if I get that pitch every day, 70, 70 times a day, like, mm-hmm. we're going to revolutionize X. Well, I want to talk to the guy on the ship right now. Like, and if not, I'm not. there's no chance I'll write about it. So there's just so much of that. You need to show me the real-world problem, but I need to talk to the person who is behind the real-world problem, mm-hmm. who you're actually helping. They need to explain, explain the exact mechanics of what problem they're having now and how this specifically helps them. Otherwise, it's a non-starter for Because me. the stakes are so high, because there's so much of it, right? I probably have three emails in my inbox from MovieCoin, three different companies, three different companies. Can we just, like, and ask I'm trying to revolutionize producing. And it's like, what's going on here, you know? And, and it's not just, you know, the folks at the places sending me an email. They have representation, and, you know, it's not their fault. They don't know that there's all these projects doing the exact same thing. And it's like... You know, how, do, how then do you navigate that, you know? Uh, can I just say something? Okay. I also think if you're very early on and um, you don't have the kind of traction that we would hear about it otherwise naturally, something that we've talked about before, but it also is relevant to this, is being a good source and building a relationship and being a resource. I'm going to be really spontaneous, and I'm sorry, Swarm, I'm going to pick on you, but it's in a good way. So, yeah, exactly. So I wrote about Swarm, and I was extremely critical of them, and they were, continued to be a great resource for me. Even when they didn't have something going on they were trying to promote. And that to me says a lot. So if something else comes up and, you know, maybe it's early on, I understand, like, the, the relationship we have in which I can trust them to be a resource to me. And they know that I'm going to be hard and that's okay. They're not going to ask me to uh, write, co-write the author stuff with me. <laughs> and I think that that goes a long way when you have something that's really early stage is just letting, um, actually being a resource to the reporter and not bombarding us when you don't have news, but being available to us when we ha- might have something that you have an expertise on that is maybe not related directly to your ICO or a launch. And so that gets into two, like, you better not put all your eggs into, like, your launch basket, right? Yes. Like, no one here is sitting around waiting for you. So you need to make sure that you have, like, a PR plan in place. Like, we have a partnership announcement in two weeks. We have a new advisor we're going to announce. We're going to create our own survey. Like, you need to be constantly going to reporters with interesting, newsworthy stuff. And you'll, like, again, like, it's not like some rocket's going to go to the air and be fireworks everywhere when you launch your company. But I will say, if you, if you have a roadmap and a plan together month over month over month, you'll look back at six months and be like, hey, we got two or three stories a month. Like, that's 15 stories. Like, it's doable. But you have to, like, it takes, you have to do the work. Yeah, and one other thing I would add is that um, probably for, you know, some, some kind of, like, smaller piece of news, like when you guys are more early stage, that, like, maybe that's something Coindesk would cover because they're in the industry. Right, but then it's only when maybe you're bigger and you have more traction that then like a, a more mainstream outlet would cover you. And I'd say offer an exclusive too. Like just go to one reporter, offer the exclusive, mm. and get your like flag in the ground story to like start mm. the whole thing. Right, or start or going back to providing expert commentary, mm-hmm. right? Which is okay. No one's going to cover your ICO or your company launch, but you happen to be an expert in this space and be willing to provide regular, outstanding expert commentary, mm-hmm. right? And, start to build your own respective brand, and then you can back into the respective stories of, of your company. And I think that gets into like having a good PR firm, too, because like your PR firm needs to understand this space as well. Like If they're not able to like help you with that forward vision, if they're not able to like spot trends that are relevant to you, like it, you, you have to have people that like know what they're doing. One last question. Yes, they're in the middle. Um, I am Eric Urban. Uh, it's a question more for the PR teams than to that. And so we've, we've been in the ETF business for a long time, and, and now we're starting to shift into newer products and newer innovations. Do we need PR firms? Right? Because our PR firm does a fine job. They, they get us in, in touch. But how do you manage that strategy? Do you have a whole 
Yeah. Can you summarize the question? Uh, so, so he's basically asking, like, when we start getting into the, the blockchain crypto space, do we need a specific PR firm just for that, correct? Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and, and then it, how do you coordinate those two messages for the It's... It's tough. Like we, we get a lot of referrals from other PR firms who have said, you know what, we don't know this space, we know where our strengths lie, and you know, we're gonna hand it off, you know, to, to us. And then we have other PR firms, you know, who are like, hey, you know, I, I think I can do that work. I, I can I can figure that out. So um, it's it's tough. I mean PR firms like I mean we like I mean we work for we've, different we've worked companies. For, we're two different PR firms. We've worked on similar projects together. Yeah. Right? And yeah. we've we've managed to, to juggle it. The only thing I'll say is we're, we're a PR firm that's been around for 20 years, so we understand, you know, the industry, the tech industry, enterprise, consumer, you know, et cetera, et cetera, financial, fintech. And so we can bridge the chasm, right, because we happen to have SparkChain, which is hyper-focused on blockchain, crypto, digital, ledger technology, digital identity. But we bring in teams within, right, the agency that don't have to compete with other agencies, right, so that we can help fine-tune the messaging across the board, right? So You can have two PR. You can have but two you can PR also have two PR firms. That's your yeah, right? I think you should, you know, in, in a good business decision is hire someone who has experience in, in what you're trying to get them to do. Yep. Yeah. But please make sure that your PR firms know what their responsibilities are. I'll have a lot of companies where three PR firms will contact me from the same company. That's true. And it just makes me not want to talk with that company because every single thing I do, I'll have to talk have to, to three to different people. That's the reason if you're working with them, make sure that you've worked with someone who's worked with the other PR firm, right? To some extent, it helps because they know how to coordinate, make sure they're not stepping on each other's toes. Well, in the interest of time, I will wrap this up. Thanks so much for thinking that this was more interesting than Jack. Thanks to all the speakers.